Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello and welcome to episode 143 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about what causes bunions or hallux valgus and how to treat them. We'll be talking about what a bunion is we're going to review some research, uh, some really interesting uh, information there, and we're going to be talking about some of the causes of bunion deformity, and I'm going to give you my opinion about bunions and why I like to treat them the way that I do. But before we get into all of that, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. A good night's sleep is what everybody needs. Fresh rest bedding will keep you comfortable all night. Our advanced textiles and weave wicks moisture and also regulates body temperature. This design, coupled with our all-natural organic antimicrobial, eliminates 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria, as well as dust mites, which are an allergen to many. Because our bedding stays fresh longer, it is eco-friendly, as it only requires washing once a month on average. This bedding is also known for its incredible softness. Our antimicrobial is all-natural and organic. No metals, waxes, chemicals, or nanos. Our sheets will never leach onto or into your skin ever. These sheets are safe for your entire family. Fresh Rest is designed and engineered by Main Lee Technology Group, based in Wells, Maine, and our sheets are made for the USA. Fresh Rest Bedding is only available for purchase through our e-commerce website by visiting freshrestbedding.com. Once again, that's freshrestbedding.com. Welcome back, everyone. So um, I just want to start off today by mentioning that for those of you who are new to OrthoEvalPal, you know, the reason I am doing this is to help increase your confidence with orthopedic evaluation and management skills. Um, it's about getting back to the basics and, and tearing one little thing apart at a time so that when you see these diagnoses come into your office, your clinic, you just feel much more comfortable evaluating them. And um, maybe you just get tidbits of information or, or, or pearls that help drive your direction in, in the treatment process and, and in the evaluation process so that um, you can evaluate a little more accurately, maybe um, prescribe the uh, proper diagnostic uh, test or or, uh, even uh, perform, you know, physical treatment uh, on that um, particular injury better. So, um, you know, please feel free to uh, send me your questions, and I'd be more than happy to uh, try to answer them on the show. And uh, any other topic you want to uh, chat about, just uh, throw it out there. Uh, everything's in the links, and so you can uh, connect to me uh, several ways. Um, all right, so. Let's start with bunions today. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is because the other day, and it's been beautiful here in northern Maine, I was laying there on a kind of like an anti-gravity chair, didn't have my shoes on, and I'm starting to develop a little hallux valgus on both sides. And I do have a small bunion on my right side starting to bother me a little bit. And I thought, you know what, this would be a great time to talk about bunions. Um, and so dealing, that the first thing I need to mention is that dealing with bunion deformities can be very difficult and frustrating. Um, so in the interest of managing these, I want to talk about how to recognize them early and slow the progression. Now, I hope not to make this too complicated, and I'm going to, you know, put a link in the show notes 
where I have a patient, a young man, who has bunions and hallux valgus, and I talk to you about that and do a little show and tell. So if doing this uh, you know, on a podcast is too difficult, just um, you know, click on the video, check that out, and I think that'll be helpful. You know, it's easy to tell a person, and I hear this all the time, people with bunions are told, deal with your bunion until you just can't stand the pain anymore and just have surgery. And bunions can be super debilitating. It can stop people from running. It can stop people from spending time on their feet. Um, they have a hard time kneeling, squatting, uh, and, and being barefooted. And so let's just dive in and, and talk about what a bunion is. Okay, so if you look down at your foot, okay, with your, your shoe and sock off, and you isolate that first metatarsal phalangeal joint, or where the big toe meets the foot, okay, um, it should be straight. But on many people, that big toe starts to migrate toward the second toe, and where it starts to look like an L, or in more technical terms, goes into hallux valgus. And what happens is the medial side, or the inner side of that joint, starts to push in more while the toe goes outward toward the second toe. So the joint becomes strained, and around that joint is a joint capsule, okay? And that capsule becomes stretched out, it gets pulled on, and as a result, that inner side of the joint becomes unstable, okay? And so therefore, it produces that kind of that big bump there. The other thing that happens is that capsule tissue is pulling on the bone and being stressed all the time, and kind of like a calcaneal spur or in Osgood slaughters, when you pull on that bony tissue long enough, you can develop a little spur or an exostosis there. Um, so you end up with a deformity and an instability there. Um, the big toe is not made to move in and out. It's made to move up and down, right? So it likes to extend. It does not like to um, abduct. So Remember that because you're going to take a look at people's feet now and you're going to look at this completely differently after we're uh, done this episode today. So what are some of the symptoms of bunion deformities? So basically, you know, before we get into that, you know, when the toe goes into valgus, that's when you develop the bunion. That's why we kind of lump them together. Um, so what are some of the symptoms of bunion deformities? Well, it can include redness of that first metatarsal phalangeal joint. There can be tenderness to that joint. Um, and then you can develop some loss of motion. Typically, that joint will become arthritic because it's not moving the right way. And so it has it becomes deformed um, and can become very painful. So walking can become difficult, but people will also complain of difficulty kneeling. And because when you're kneeling and that toe is behind you and oftentimes goes into extension when you're kneeling, um, that can be quite painful. So trying to avoid that uh, can be very important in regards to decreasing inflammation there. So why do people develop bunions? Well, I'm going to mention the Framingham foot study a couple times uh, in today's podcast. But they mentioned and, you know, if, when the Framingham folks do studies, they don't hold back. They do it on huge numbers of people. Um, and so what they found was that there is a big hereditary component. So you can definitely get this from your parents. Um, and they found that women have it more than men. 
and probably because they wear tighter shoes, but not necessarily because they wear high heels. So we have this tendency to tell people, well, you wore high heels, you probably have this problem because of that. That's not always the case, and they, they pretty much, you know, uh, discounted that myth that heels cause, high heels cause hallux valgus or bunions. Um, and then there was a study by Shine called the incidence of hallux valgus in a partially shoe-wearing community. Now, this was, I thought this was really interesting. They went to the island of St. Helena, where half of the population of people wore shoes and the others did not. So they talked about people who were shod and unshod. Um, and they found that the risk of developing hallux valgus was linearly related to and increased every year that a person wore shoes. So when they looked at the percentage of people who had hallux valgus or bunions, they noticed that only 2% of the people who were non-shoe wearers developed this problem. Whereas those who wore shoes, 16% were men and 48% were women. Now, the interesting thing about this is that, um, you know, they thought that it was the tight shoe that caused women to have more bunion problems or hallux valgus. And come to find out, they did not wear tight shoes, that everybody wore the same type of shoe. So they felt that was not related either. So that for some reason, nobody really knows the reason for this, that women have more bunions and hallux valgus than men do by nature. Um, so they also found that people who have pes planus or a flat foot, and rear foot pronation or calcaneal valgus are at higher risk of developing bunion deformities. And I completely concur with that. I have for a very long time believed that this was more of an alignment issue, a biomechanical problem, kind of like the wheels on your car are out of alignment and your tire wears on one side. That's what I believe uh, because I've seen this so often. Um, so... It's very common in people with hallux valgus or bunions to, number one, have tight calves. I see this. It's very, very common. Um, and what I see is that because they have tight calves, they retrovert the hips a little bit, so they toe out some, and because they don't like to dorsiflex, correct? So if they don't dorsiflex and they, they step off, they're stepping off of the medial side of the big toe. And when they do that, it pushes that toe toward the second toe and causes this repetitive strain and stress and instability, okay? So it's very common to find people with tight calves who have this medial callus on the big toe because they're pushing off and shearing off of that, so getting that stress. We also see this is quite common in people with a poor functional squat where they try to squat keeping their heels down um, and the knees collapse medially. The hip abductors could be weak, which I feel is a big contributor here. Um, and the, the feet go into pes planus. Again, see how we keep going back to this pes planus type uh, foot issue. The other thing that I find very interesting is that if you see a patient who comes in and they have a bunion that may be a little bit larger on one side and a hallux valgus that may be a little more prominent on one side than the other side, um, consider a leg length discrepancy. People with leg length discrepancies, more often than not, 
have a flat foot or a pes planus type foot posture on the long leg side. That helps to uh, level out the pelvis and it's a compensation that occurs, but you'll see this little callus on the medial side of the big toe. The toe will go into valgus. There'll be a larger bunion. There might be some redness and maybe some limited range of motion there. So, so with that in mind, um, how do we treat these things? You know, we can't change the, the hereditary or, or a genetic component to this. Um, but if we look at all of these biomechanical stressors, okay, the flat foot, the tight calves, the retroverted gait, the knees that collapse inwards, um, there, are, there are several factors that can contribute to this. Um, so as a physical therapist, I try to focus on kind of, quote unquote, realigning the wheels on the car so that the tires wear a little more evenly. And when I see this starting to develop in people at a young age, I really try to get on it. So the first thing I do is try to correct the biomechanical stresses. So I will, first of all, put them on a calf stretching program. And um, I do this a lot with my forefoot. Anybody who has a forefoot problem usually is on a calf stretching program, unless they come in with 20 to 25 degrees of dorsiflexion. And um, that doesn't seem to be a factor. I won't necessarily put them on a stretching program, but I typically will have them stretch. Next, I like to put people into orthotics, um, support that medial arch, and I also like to cup the heel and get that supported so the heel does not drop into calcaneal valgus or rear foot pronation. Um, so we support the heel as it strikes the floor, we support the arch so that um, the arch doesn't collapse down, and therefore the toe, the great toe, will extend better rather than abduct. Um, then I will try to work on strengthening the arch supporters, okay? So things like toe curls, posterior tibial and anterior tibial tendon strengthening activities. I may have them take their shoes off and do some balancing on an Erex pad, uh, which makes them kind of grip with their toes and work those uh, intrinsics a little bit harder. And then we really hammer hard on hip abduction uh, exercises like clamshells and lateral band walking um, and exercises that develop the uh, external rotators of the hip and the uh, abductors, uh, glute medius musculature, so that we can kind of prevent that uh, valgus stress. Now, I'm not saying that only people with genuvalgus develop pes planus and hallux valgus. I've seen people with bow legs, uh, as myself, um, develop this also. But I do have pes planus, so I am going to uh, increase the arches in my shoes and uh, just hit the uh, calf stretching a little more aggressively, and I'm sure that will take a lot of the pressure off. Now, people often talk about nighttime splints, where you put this splint along the medial side of the foot, and it basically grabs a hold of the big toe and puts it in a neutral position, and it gets it out of that abducted position or that valgus position. Now, oftentimes you can take that toe and just bring it to neutral really well, and there's not a lot of tightness or tension there. And that's fine. I mean, some people use these nighttime splints. I've never found them to be very beneficial. Why? Because when you're sleeping at night, you're not weight bearing. Um, and as soon as you put your feet on the floor, you really start to stress that uh, first metatarsal phalangeal joint and push it into valgus. And so I don't think there's any long-term benefit of using a night splint to keep the toe in neutral. Uh, people who I see oftentimes have bunions and have had bunions for many, many years. And they're huge. 
the joint is all arthritic, it's all red, it's all painful, but they don't want to have to have they don't want to have surgery. So what I may do with these folks is get them into an extra depth and an extra wide shoe um, so that we just avoid the shoe from compressing and irritating the bunion. Remember, on that bunion also is a small bursa uh, on the on the medial side, and that bursa can become inflamed, and some people, you'll look at it and touch it, and it's a very squishy, and uh, it's not very hard, so it's not just bony irritation. So with people like this, there's nothing wrong with, you know, doing anti-inflammatory treatments like, um, you know, creams that have an anti-inflammatory in it because it's so close to this, the, the area that's inflamed is so close to the skin that that could be helpful. Um, I have done iontophoresis with dexamethasone, sodium phosphate, just decrease that inflammation, especially if you can rest that foot a little bit, either with an orthotic or a walker boot or something like that, um, or a good, comfortable shoe. Then you do everything you can to decrease that inflammation. So not only do you try to correct the biomechanics, but you can use some different modalities to help decrease that inflammation. Now, oftentimes... People with hallux valgus or bunions have pain with extension of that first uh, toe and at the metatarsophalangeal joint. And if they have pain with extension or pain with the push-off part of gait or the terminal stance phase of gait, um, get them into a rocker bottom shoe with a nice solid sole. And uh, I'll have links to what I like to use for a rocker bottom shoe in the uh, show notes today. And that can be very helpful. It's a little different to get used to working with a rocker bottom shoe, but especially if somebody can just not gain dorsiflexion, uh, this is a great uh, way to compensate for that and make people more comfortable. Now, if there's a lot of arthritis and the foot is very tender, they should always be in some sort of a shoe or a very soft insole. You know, if they're in the house and standing on hard surfaces, that could be um, very helpful in decreasing that pain and inflammation. Uh, And, you know, last resort surgery. Um, surgery can be very beneficial. Now, surgeries now are, are much less invasive than they have been in the past. Um, so we're seeing much better success with people who are having surgery for those who just do not respond to conservative um, treatment or they've just let it go so long that there is nothing else you can do for it. Um, so you can find some benefit from that. Well, I bet you didn't know there was so much to learn about bunions. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the show today. Be sure to check out you know, the links in the show notes. I'll have uh, a video of somebody with bunions and hallux valgus, and I'll even uh, put a few other videos in there and just some links to you know things I like to use, like the rocker bottom shoes and, and stuff like that. Um, I'd love to get a rating or review from any of you on Apple Podcasts or any platform that you like to listen to. Um, that really helps, you know, with our algorithm and our search engine optimization out there. So, uh, you know, if you go to our YouTube channel, make sure you like and subscribe. That'll also help uh, a ton. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. Again, I am so excited that I have the opportunity and ability to podcast and talk about something that I'm so passionate about. And um, the comments that I've been getting recently have been just outstanding. And I just want to say thank you for all of you who are encouraging me to continue to do what I like to do. Um, and I really appreciate it. So I hope you all have a great day and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.